Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Abraham didn't know everything, yet he followed God, and we'll hear a personal example from Tom Cantor's own life of faith in following God. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. So God's saying, you who want to be righteous, this is for you. So by faith, when he was called to go, he obeyed. He went out, not knowing whither he went. She knew that Abraham had weaknesses, but she knew that God was Abraham's helper. And she knew that God was going to help Abraham in spite of his weaknesses. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study from the book of Genesis. Sarah stuck by her man, Abraham. Sarah was determined that no matter what chapters there would be in their life, each chapter was going to start and was going to end with the words, and Abraham and Sarah. And that was Sarah's determination, and that's what she stuck to, and that's the way it was. That was Sarah's determination to stand by her man, which meant that Sarah had to submit to Abraham, which was not easy to do at all. In fact, Peter said, Peter said that women, you should be daughters of Sarah. That should be the best for you. You should be daughters of Sarah and follow her. And he, then Peter told them, exactly what he meant in 1 Peter 3, 6, when he said, even as Sarah obeyed God? No. It says Sarah obeyed Abraham. Maybe Sarah would have said it would be easier to obey God if I, instead of it, but he obeyed Abraham. Calling him Lord, Peter says, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. And so that's a good chapter heading for each one of the chapters in Abraham and, Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's life. It's a, here's a chapter that you could very easily become afraid with amazement. You'd be amazed. <laughs> and so Sarah, she, Sarah was not afraid with any ama- amazement. Why? It wasn't as though Sarah was trusting Abraham. Sarah was trusting God, the God of Abraham, as it says in Hebrews 11, 11, when it speaks of Sarah, it says, Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She didn't judge Abraham faithful. She judged the God of Abraham who was faithful. She judged that God was leading Abraham. She knew that Abraham had weaknesses. That was very obvious. She knew that Abraham had weaknesses, but she knew that God was Abraham's helper. And she knew that God was going to help Abraham in spite of his weaknesses. And that conviction that she had made for a beautiful couple between Sarah and Abraham. She was, she was also very beautiful on the outside. We don't know. We don't have pictures, but you know, other, other men thought so too. Anyway, they were, she was beautiful on the outside, but, Sarah, but Abraham had a beautiful wife on the inside because Abraham had a life partner. And God had joined Abraham and Sarah together, and Sarah was, was absolutely determined. Nothing 
was going to divide them. Nothing was going to separate them. They were a beautiful couple because they were convinced that whatever came their way in life, they would go through it together. Together. If Abraham decided one day that he didn't like Sarah and was going to walk out the tent, she'd stand in the tent's door. And she said, you're not leaving. She'd put her hand up like this. Same the other way around as well. Because whatever came, they were going to go through this together. Some of you, at least one of you, maybe two, <laughs> Don's not here, some of you anyway, may remember Cheryl and I nearly 40 years ago when we were here at the chapel when I started Scanabodies. And you, some of you watched and, and you prayed, and the more you watched, the more you prayed. <laughs> and, uh, and you helped too. And you remember what really happened to us. And you remember how we were living in the old, established, comfortable area of North Park in a comfortable little paid-for 600-square-foot house. Small, but it was nice. And you remember how Cheryl and I, when we came here to, to the chapel, we'd been married less than two years, and started Sienna Bodies, we'd been married for five years, and I had graduated from UCSD about three years before with a bachelor's in biochemistry, and I had a good, stable job. And you were praying for my boss. I was working for the government at the VA hospital, working in, in biochemistry. So everything was great. And all of a sudden, I had the idea to start a business. <laughs> and start a business, you know. And Cheryl was 100% standing by me. I knew nothing about starting a business, but that didn't matter. And so with no security for income, I quit my stable federal job. But like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. So what'd she do? She enrolled in accounting classes in the community college so that she could do the finances for this new company. I always said, well, who needs finances? You know, <laughs> anyway. And then I knew nothing. I knew nothing about living in the back country. You know, I was raised in LA, in West Los Angeles. I thought tomatoes grew on trees. But anyway, but I, nevertheless, knowing nothing about living in the bad country, I sold our house in North Park and bought a house in the back country. Now, not just any back country. This was three miles down a dirt road that many times was just about impassable. And so you may have a picture of, you know, rolling hills like the Ponderosa. Well, not exactly. It was on a very steep slope. Oh, well, maybe it went up about 1,000 feet or more with very large boulders ready to roll down on us. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> it was just the wrong property for goats. And, the, and then, as soon as we bought this place, we had these tremendous torrential downpour of rain. You may remember those in the 70s. And the first night in the rain, when we were driving to our, back, our new backcountry home down this three miles of just about impassable road, very muddy, our second son, Joseph, is in the car, and he's crying, and he's saying, don't go, don't go, turn back, go back to San Diego, back to our house. <laughs> of course, we had to tell him it was already in escrow. Anyway, but like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. She calmed Joseph and, uh, and, and made that place our home. It wasn't exactly the cleanest environment, I mean, uh, we had to, we've strung so many sticky flypapers 
in our kitchen, <laughs> that there were many times when we walked into them. But that was okay. She just went ahead and converted our third bedroom into a schoolroom, and she taught the boys for 14 years out there. And then when the boys joined the Little League uh, out there, she ran the snack bar. She really got involved. And being in the back country, there were other problems too. Being in the back country, the builder, uh, he got away with poor construction. That's an understatement. And so when we learned that inside the walls to save money, instead of using pipe for water, that he used garden hose, that was interesting. And then when we learned that instead of using Romex wire, he used extension cords inside the walls, well, that didn't stop Cheryl. She just patiently stopped using those outlets that went snap, crackle, and pop. And (laughs) And I knew nothing about electrical wiring and plumbing. But that didn't stop me from rewiring the house and replumbing it. And just made, and Cheryl just calmly, she never said no. She just made trips down to the supply house. And when we finally sold the house 10 years later, it took six months of people working on the house to make it sellable. The electrician said this house was built to electrocute people. <laughs> <laughs> and the 20th century uh, in, uh, you know, house selling people they said when the house finally did sell, they made an announce- They got their whole team together in La Mesa and they made the announcement, we have just sold our most difficult house. <laughs> so I knew nothing about raising goats. And right away, that didn't stop me from right away, started to just about butt up to the house because we didn't have a lot of land, available land. Well, we had a lot of land, but it was, well, you needed a helicopter to get to it. But anyway, and so I just uh, got pallets and bailing wire, and started to build pens, and then immediately proceeded to buy 300 goats to put into these pens. And like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. And she just subscribed to a new uh, magazine called the Dairy Goat Journal. (laughs) She hadn't read that one before. And she read it from cover to cover, and then she would just go outside, and with all these 300 goats that were literally within a stone's throw of our bedroom window, and she'd go outside and she'd talk to the goats and she gave them all names and she milked them and she made cheese, goat cheese. I knew nothing about buying goats, but that didn't stop me from going up and, and uh, renting a, a trailer and then putting two-by-fours on it and overloading it with 50 goats and driving it back from Ontario. And I had no idea that I had bought 50 diseased goats. And they looked good. But within hours of getting them home, they fell over dead. And then they infected the rest of the herd with everything from pink eye to clostridium, which I couldn't even spell. But like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. In fact, she showed me how to spell clostridium. (laughs) And and we had a lot of dead goats. And she would drive alone down from Lakeside down to Kearney Mesa with dead goats strapped to the back of our Volvo. Okay? And... Blood and other liquids were coming off the goat, goats, dead goats strapped to the back of the Volvo and flying there. And that was a problem because when she got on the freeway, people were curious to see these dead goats strapped to the back of our Volvo. So they drove close to the back of our Volvo, and that was a bad idea (laughs) because of those liquids coming off the goats. But she took those goats down to the county vet, and she asked the county vet every time, please tell us what our goats are dying from. I knew nothing how to buy and protect hay, which I came to find out was very, very important. Didn't know why it was so important to keep hay from getting wet. 
So the first years, as I mentioned, we had these torrential rains. I mean, we were so much rain, water rushed down the side of the hill behind us and through the goat pens, and this water flooded into our living room and bedrooms, carpeted living rooms and bedrooms, with a very foul, dark brown liquid. <laughs> Not exactly sweet well water. And, uh, but Cheryl never said no. And she just started to clean up the brown liquid from the carpets. And uh, the hay got wet. And, uh, and, it got, and when it got wet, it started to ferment, and it just about caught on fire. And so, you know, I knew nothing. So I said, well, we can't waste the money. We'll feed it to the goats anyways. Bad idea. Goats died left and right from bloat. And they'd fall over in the pens, and their stomachs would get all distended. And, uh, you know, Cheryl had ordered from the Dairy Goat Journal Supply this hollow spike. And so, you know, the goats would yell, and I'd go running out there with this hollow spike, and I would jab it into their stomach, and then I would be totally sprayed with a foul green liquid that blew out of their stomachs. And like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. She just cleaned the hollow spike so it'd be ready next time, the goat yelled. In fact, those rains were so bad that when the water raced down the hill, they cut a ravine so deep in our driveway, which was dirt, that our big old station wagon fell sideways into the ravine. We could have covered it up and had a uh, funeral. It was totally in there. I knew nothing about how to care for pregnant goats and baby goats, newborn babes, newborn goats. I had no idea that goats have this instinct that just before it rains, they give birth. See, I have a lot of knowledge that, uh, you know, I'm, I don't even need anymore, thank God. But anyway, and uh, so they would give birth during, before it rained because that would protect them from the predators. Well, that's fine when they're out in the open, but when they're all in a pen, then those baby goats were dropping into puddles of manure and drowning. And it was so bad that we, we, we used to have piles of dead baby goats on the side of our driveway. The FedEx driver complained. And, but, but just like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. And what did she do? She went into those wet pens and brought those newborn baby kids into our living room and put diapers on them. And then she fed them colostrum that she collected from mothers. I didn't know anything about how to care for or, take, or how to do anything with guinea pigs. But a lady, I don't know how she found out about them, but a lady calls from up near Ontario and about two hours away, and she said, I have 300 guinea pigs, and I'll give them to you if you just come and get them. Well, I didn't have any cages, but we had the Oldsmobile station wagon. So I drove up there without any cages, and the lady said, where are your cages? And I said, just throw them in the Olds. And so 300 guinea pigs thrown into the Oldsmobile, and I climbed into the Oldsmobile through the window to get into it, and then rolled the windows up, and for two hours, me and 300 guinea pigs had a nice drive back home, <laughs> crawling all over. And uh, like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. And after I put the guinea pigs in cages, she just started to clean the car out. It was never the same after that. It's a good day when we sold that car. I, I knew nothing about how to keep male billy goats or breed them. But when I got the idea that we could selectively breed for antibody production if we had 50 billy goats, which we went ahead to get, and, and billy goats, in case you don't know more knowledge that's not necessary for you to know, remember, is that billy goats have this disgusting habit of urinating on their head to mix with the musk that comes out above their eyes 
to create a very distinctive smell, which they think the does like. I don't know. But anyway, uh, it, it permeated our whole property. In fact, kids from the chapel here, they used to come on Sunday afternoon after church and then we'd come back on Sunday evening, and they would come over to our house. But when we started doing that, then their parents wouldn't let them come anymore because they couldn't get the smell out. <laughs> the smell was in our cars, it was in our clothes, and it didn't last for long, only three years. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but Cheryl, she was like Sarah, she never said no. She, never, she, just, she just waited for the three years until I finally came to the conclusion that it was a bad idea to have the billy goats. I knew nothing about setting up a workplace for employees. And before you knew it, we had 45 employees working in our garage on three shifts, 24 hours a day. And uh, we turned the quiet little countryside uh, Morena Valley into something it was not. And it was so bad in the beginning that, that, um, that we didn't have an employee bathroom. We, later we remedied that. It was one of our first remedies. Well, we, this house had one and a half bathrooms. So the employees had to use the one of the one and a half bathrooms. And so, it, it, but like, so we had employees just coming into our house all the time to use the bathroom. And like Sarah Cheryl never said no. And she just um, learned what time she should use the bathroom. And then she converted our dining room table on Fridays into a payroll table. And employees would just line up as she wrote paychecks. Now, these are just a few of the chapters in our life together. But through each chapter, the important point is that, like Sarah, Cheryl never said no. And so what we see in verse 5 is we see how Sarah was a gift from God to Abraham, to help Abraham through every chapter of his life. And Sarah never said no. But she encouraged Abraham And Abraham and Sarah were beautiful examples, a beautiful example of what Peter called in 1 Peter 3, 7, heirs together. That's the word. Heirs together. They were together, whatever came, of the grace of God. That means of the help of God. They were going to inherit together the help of God. Now, God helped Abraham by giving him a father who said, let's go. And God helped Abraham by giving him a wife who never said no. But fathers come and fathers go. And wives come and wives go. And we're going to read about the death of Sarah. But God never goes. And so what David said is what Abraham comes to the conclusion at the end of his life And that is, that I may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for helping Abraham and for showing us how you helped Abraham. We thank you, Lord, that it all started with your invitation to when you called him alone to come to you. And we pray, Lord, that we might also be like Abraham and strengthen that alone relationship with you so that we can also, Lord, see you help us through all of our weaknesses and finally say boldly, the Lord is my helper in Jesus' name. Amen. Dad, today when you were going through those parts about the early days of Scantabody's laboratory, you kept saying, I knew nothing about... 
I was thinking of how I grew up during all those times, and the funny part is that I thought you did know what you were doing because you told us boys what to do with such confidence that now I'm surprised to hear you say that for all that time, you knew nothing about those things. My question is, why weren't you afraid to attempt to do so many things that you didn't know how to do? Well, Dave, I'm glad you asked that question because, and maybe now's the time when I need to apologize to you for acting so confident about doing things that I knew nothing about and not reflecting more humility. But when I think back on all those things that that we did together, and then I realize I knew nothing about it, but just went forward to it, it almost takes my breath away. And I asked the same question, why wasn't I afraid? And I think as I look back on the days, it's because that during that time, a very, very difficult time, as you know, on the side of a hillside with 300 goats on really less than an acre around us, and that acre was not flat. It was, it was almost straight up and down with boulders all around us, ready to come down on us, putting um, fences over, the, drilling into rocks to make fences, uh, having the goat manure constantly, when it got wet, come into the house through the back. And, oh, I don't even want to think of all that we had to go through for the 10 years when we lived, lived that out. But the question is, as you put it, why wasn't I afraid? It's because, as I look back on that time, that was a time, you know, I was saved in 1970 and the business started in 1976, and really it was the time of a great blooming and blossoming of a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, a captivation. And what really was was a focus for me was not the building of a business. You might look at the business now and you say, oh, 800 employees and, and all these different things and uh, 50 hundred products and services. So obviously this is your life passion and this is what you gave yourself to. It really wasn't. And it really isn't because at that time I was really, really captivated with God. And I really was doing in Matthew 6, 33, I was seeking first. I was trying with all of my heart to know the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in Philippians 3.10, Paul said, that I may know him. That's the grand goal. And then he says, but seek ye first. That's the grand effort, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So really that verse in Matthew 6.33, it says, seek first God and all those things like, you know, getting through the business building and stuff like that. I call that the, the first part, seek God. That's the great challenge. The rest part is God's part. That's chump change. Chump change for God. All these things shall be added unto you. The success of a business and, and, and so forth. That's chump change for God. But the real goal is seeking him first. As David put it so succinctly in Psalm 27.4, one thing, and this is what I like to call this first. This is the one thing verse, one focus. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's the one thing that David had on his heart. That's the one thing that I had on my heart and have on my heart, so I could dwell to be with him, to be with this marvelous person the Lord Jesus Christ, and to spend all eternity asking questions, probing about his beauty in the temple. This is what Paul, this is what God said to Abraham when he said to Abraham in, in Genesis 15, 1, Abraham, all those things that you're afraid of, you know, the, the people around that you, that want to kill you, the constant need for provision, Abraham, he said to Abraham, fear not, Abram, 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. It was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what Paul said, he said in Galatians 1, 15 through 16, when he said, It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. What for? To reveal his son in me. And that revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of Paul, I understand, inside of me was the captivation, was the intrigue for his life, was his focus, was his desire, was what he saw after. And as he did that, God's presence became everything, as that verse that we quoted in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. So in all those things that I had no nothing, I knew nothing about, I could boldly say, yes, I know nothing about these things, but God does, and God is my helper. And therefore, it comes the verse, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through through Christ, which strengthens me. I can do all things that I know nothing about through Christ who strengthens me. And that's how I was able to get through those days. Thank you for joining us today. Now, Tom Cantor wants to send you a free gift of his life story on DVD and in a booklet to help you reach your lost Jewish friend. This is for lost Jewish people. Tom Cantor wants to give you a free gift if you've got a lost Jewish friend. He also wants to pray for your lost Jewish friend this month. So we want you to go online to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Fill out the online form. Put your friend's name that needs to be reached through prayer. We can mail it directly to them or directly to you to give to them. So fill out that online form at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, Tom Cantor wants to personally invite you to the Creation and Earth History Museum that he owns and operates for our Museum Day 2013 on Saturday, September 28th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. We'll have great speakers including Ray Comfort and Dr. John Morris and Gary Parker. For more information, go to creationsd.org, creationsd.org or 1-800-247-3051.